Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the truth that is found in it. It is from your word we learn of our greatest need. Our greatest need is to be reunited, to be reconciled with you. Through your word, you teach us that you created all things in spite of your goodness, in spite of your mercy, in spite of your love and how good your creation was. We ruined it all. You teach us in Your Word that even though at that point You should have completely disposed of us, You decided to make a plan to redeem us. In Your Word we learn about how You sent Your one and only Son to die on a cross to take the punishment and the penalty that we deserved so that we might have the freedom to be reunited with You for all eternity. Not only that, Father, You tell us in Your Word that That's not the end of the story. You're coming back. And you will call us all home to live with you in paradise forever. Lord, help us to hear that message as we read and study and preach and proclaim your holy and perfect word. Father, in in spite of an insufficient messenger, in spite of an unworthy messenger, would you, great God of heaven, speak to our hearts this morning. Teach us that we might be encouraged, that we might be convicted of where we have fallen short, that we might be challenged to live for you, that we might be motivated in every way to dedicate our hearts and lives to you. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish this by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, to you, our Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to continue in our One Another series, and we will be looking at stirring one another up for good works. So this morning, we will be in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, which coincidentally is exactly how Moses makes tea for all the Israelites. Hebrews, there you go. Dad joke of the day, out of the way. You don't have to deal with any more for the sermon, I promise. We will be in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, we'll be in the New Testament, you go past the Gospels, you get to the very last letter from Paul, Philemon, and before you hit the book of James, there you'll find the book of Hebrews. If you have your own copy of Scripture, I encourage you to take it, turn there with us. If you don't have one, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, feel free to take that copy that's in the back of the pew in front of you as a gift from Bethany Baptist Church to you. We'd love to give you that as a gift. If you prefer to follow along in a digital method, that's fine as well. But however you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask if you would and are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy Word. We look together at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. The Word of the Lord says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing nearer. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Over the last seven weeks, we have been looking at various passages in the Word of the Lord where it speaks of this word, alelon. It's a word that means one another. One another is an English two-word phrase. It's a one word in in Greek. That one word shows up over a hundred different times in 94 different verses. Every time it shows up, it is giving specific, direct instructions for how we as a local church ought to treat and interact with one another. And so we've looked at the primary two, which were love one another and be in harmony with one another, having unity among the body. Those two love one another and be at peace with, be in unity with, have harmony with one another, account for two-thirds of all the occurrences of that one Greek word, alelon. And so every other type of one another instruction we have looked at has given us directives that fall under the umbrella of loving one another and being in harmony with one another, having unity with one another. And so this last one another passage that we come to is a familiar passage from Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll work our way up to the stirring one another up to good works, provoking one another to good works. We'll find that there in verse 24, but I don't want us to just jump into this passage outside of context. So let's look at what is going on in this letter. It's called Hebrews, not because of the Moses T joke, but Hebrews because this is directed to and addressed to Hebrew Christians, people who followed the Hebrew faith, who were part of Israel, who were Jewish, And now they are calling themselves Christians. He is evangelizing those who are previously Jewish, now Jewish Christians following Christ. He gives, again, like we saw with many of Paul's letters, a doctrinal treatise in the first multiple chapters of the book. But once you hit chapter 10, specifically right here around verse 19, from chapter 10 onward through the end of the book, through chapter 12, verse 29, you're going to see encouragement of how to endure, of exhortation. And that's a big fancy church word, right? He is exhorting us numerous times, beginning in chapter 10, verse 19. That exhortation is just an appeal. It's an urging. It is a strong suggestion. It is trying to persuade someone with speech. This is the same kind of thing that you would do to somebody who's in an airplane and scared to jump out. You wouldn't go so far as to maybe push them out. That wouldn't necessarily be exhortation, but you would encourage it. Man, that chute's going to open. You're going to be fine. You just got to jump. Just close your eyes. One, two, three, go. You just got to go. You're telling them it's time to jump out of the plane, giving them every encouragement so that they move to action. That's what's happening in Hebrews. All the way up until this point, the author has told us that Jesus Christ is far superior to anything and everything in all of creation. Jesus is far superior to the angels, far superior to Moses. Everything in the book of Hebrews up to this point that is not practical application, is telling us how incredible and how awesome and how superior Jesus really is. And so we find another one of those words that we see often, therefore. 
And every time we see a therefore, we have to ask, what is it there for? It is the pivot. He even goes so far as to say, therefore, since. Therefore, in light of all this other stuff, since X, Y, Z is true, let us, let us, let us. So we see in verse 19, because of the things that he will say, 19, 20, 21, we get three very distinct, very strong, let us. Those are the commands. Those are the exhortations. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider how. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how. Before we jump into those specific applications, let's look at the sense. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You probably have heard this if you have spent any time in church. But it used to not be so easy to access the Lord. Before Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, accessing the Lord was a big ordeal. And so the Lord's presence, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, is so powerful and so mighty that if you enter into the concentrated presence of God Almighty, it will kill you. We even see examples in First and Second Samuel. They're trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the temple, back to the tabernacle, back to the capital. And so as they're working their way back to Jerusalem with it, they put it on a cart, which was the wrong way to carry it in the first place. There were all sorts of instructions about how to carry the Ark of the Covenant, but God's concentrated presence was there in the Ark of the Covenant, sitting on a cart, being pulled by ox. And they hit a bump, and all of a sudden the Ark is about to fall off, and this guy who is a wonderful man, I'm sure, his name is Uzzah or Uzzah, he's a cool guy, he jumps up there, we cannot let the Ark of the Covenant fall. He grabs it and he hits it and he says, hi, I've saved it, and then he's dead. Just like that. He touches the Ark of the Covenant and he has reached into and connected with the concentrated presence of God and he he literally cannot stand it. God is holy. And so often we talk about how God is love and how God is righteous and how God is good and kind. Sometimes we even talk about God's wrath, but God is holy. And what that means is set apart and different. God is like the sun in our solar system. Different and unique from everything else that exists in our solar system. Everything revolving around the gravitational pull of the sun. And as beautiful and as awesome and as glorious as the sun is, you hop in a spaceship, you fly towards the sun, all of a sudden you can't get away, and you get too close, and you burn up, and you're dead, and you're gone. I, I, I couldn't even figure out how hot the sun really is. The, the coolest parts of the sun are still infinitely hotter than the hottest thing we can come up with on earth it's incredible it's mind-blowing the sun is awesome we need it but it is powerful if you get too close to the sun you burn up the same thing is true for our god our god is holy and when sinners enter the presence of a holy god we burn to a crisp it's the same reason that in Exodus, God says, you can't see me face to face and live. The Israelites are at the foot of the mountain and they see almost like the presence of the Lord and the thunder and the lightning. It's comparable to like if you saw the Lord's feet, like if the mountain was his footstool and he's resting his feet there. And they are so scared that they send Moses up the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you just talk to this guy and then, and then he'll talk to us. You, you don't talk to us anymore. That's how powerful and awesome our God is. So to go into his presence as a sinner was a huge ordeal. And so once they built the temple, the presence of God was concentrated. 
like it was in the Ark of the Covenant in what was called the Holy of Holies. And this was the story that you've probably heard in Sunday school. The priest that was the high priest would go in once a year to try and make atonement, to offer blood and sacrifice for the people for that year. And sometimes if they were not made right with the Lord, they walk into that presence and the sun burns them up and they fall over dead. It happens so often they put bells on them. Can you fathom that the problem is people are unholy approaching God's holy presence and they're dying. How do we fix this? Well, maybe we could change the way we're living and be more holy. No, let's just put a bell on them. So then when the bell stops ringing, we know they're dead. And then we'll just drag them out by a rope and then we'll send somebody else in. That was their solution. That's their sophisticated problem-solving skills. That's what it's like to go into the presence of God. But it says, based on all that has been said before, since we now have confidence to enter the holy places, not by the blood of lambs and bulls and goats, but by the blood of Jesus, our Savior, who has washed us clean. We can approach because God doesn't look at how sinful we are. He looks at how perfect Jesus is. And so we are allowed into his presence, not just allowed to be a crumb on the floor, not just allowed to be a fly on the wall, but allowed into his presence with confidence. We played a softball tournament yesterday. There was a charity softball tournament that was that was done for the Sasser family. Bethany had two teams that participated and I was on team two. I was weighing team two down. They had a lot of really good players and they needed some dead weight to make it fair. So that's why I got to play on team two. We had a lot of old people on our team. And then we had a couple of young bucks, okay? We had Aiden Amos. We had Jack Day. And the way that all of us older people, especially me, entered the batter's box was just very different from the way that Aiden and Jack entered the batter's box. These guys play a lot of baseball. They have played a lot of baseball. They played a lot of high school ball. I'm pretty sure one of them's going on to play ball at college. So you know what I mean? These are guys that they know their way around a baseball diamond. They understand. And when they walk into the batter's box, it's not cocky. It's not arrogant. It is a confidence. This is where I'm comfortable. I can do what I know how to do. Now you compare that with me. I would step into the batter's box when there were two outs and I'd be like, get your gloves, guys. Get ready. And coach looked at me and said, Nathan, you've already struck out before you get there because you walk up to the batter's box like this. <sighs> I might as well be here, I guess. Y'all sure you don't want to just call this an out? That's not how the young guys, even late into the day, okay? Some of the guys that were very confident early in the day didn't enter the batter's box quite so confident. There was confidence there, but it was just a little bit slower movement into that batter's box, you know? Never a time throughout the whole day. Jack and Aiden, they were always pitch runners. They were always jumping in that batter's box. They had confidence because they knew their ability. See, we can enter into God's presence with confidence because we know we're welcome there as a child, as his son, as his daughter. We're welcome in his presence. And I don't care what's going on in my life. For whatever reason, my children need me whenever something serious is going on. And they have confidence to come up to me. And it doesn't matter if I am counseling with somebody who just told me that their life is falling apart and they're being divorced. My children will walk up to me. Daddy, 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 daddy. Do you know why they have the confidence to approach me so boldly? In the middle of whatever is going on. It's because they know I'm dad. And they know they're safe. And they know that I may turn and be like, hey, just wait two seconds, I've got to do something. But they know that whatever their need is, I'm going to address them. That's what Hebrews builds to, to this point. That you and I 
can have confidence in entering into the presence of God because that veil, that curtain, that separation is gone. It's a new and living curtain. It's an opened way for us. It's not some piece of fabric or a wall that is a barrier. It is a person who has opened the way. It is the blood of Jesus through His flesh, through His body being broken. He is our great priest over the house of God. So at any point in time, anywhere, you can approach God in His very presence. That same sunshine that would have burned up the Israelites before Jesus had died on the cross, you can walk up to the sunshine and touch it. You can catch the ark as it falls off of the cart because you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, if you haven't been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, take heart and take caution. Our God is loving and nice and kind and merciful, but He's also holy and it will burn you up. The only way we approach Him is through Jesus. Now, because of that, verse 22 starts with our three points. Let us draw near. The first, let us draw near. With a true heart, in full assurance of faith, when we draw near to God, if we want to be able to draw near to the Son, S-O-N, who is also as powerful and even more powerful than the S-U-N, we have to have a true heart in full assurance of faith. Because that's what makes us righteous. It's not all the good things that you do. It's not a charity softball tournament. It's not that you worked at VBS. It's not that you did all these great things in the church or in the community. It is the blood of Jesus. And the only way to approach God safely is with a true heart that is filled with faith. Faith makes Jesus safe. Faith makes God a refuge for us instead of a terror to run from. So because we have faith in Jesus, let us draw near. How often are we missing opportunities to draw near to God? How often do we move through our day without ever thinking, maybe I should take some time to draw near to God? In our thoughtlessness, In our lack of consideration for the Lord, most of what happens to us throughout the day is we separate ourselves further and further from the Lord. How often are we taking time to draw near to God? Because we have access. People in Israel would travel for weeks, come to Jerusalem, offer sacrifices, purchase a goat or a lamb or turtle doves or something to offer a sacrifice for their sins, to try and atone for their relationship with the Lord so that they might approach God and pray to Him and that the aroma of the sacrifice would be sweet and pleasing to Him and they might be able to speak to God. And all you and I have to do is have a true heart full of the assurance of faith. Boom, we go right into His presence. We don't have to load up the cart, the wagon, the buggy. We don't have to travel for weeks. We can go right into His presence. But it's one of those things where it's so easy, we now take it for granted. It is so easy, we we now forget it. Can you remember the days when somebody said, I'm going to so-and-so's house. And then they left. You didn't know how they were doing on the road. Maybe they called you when they got there. Maybe not. Then... Several hours later, they arrived back home. You had no contact with them for all of that time. How often today 
All right, well, text me when you're getting your car, okay? All right, text me that you started your car, okay? All right, text me you put it into drive, okay? All right, text me that you got there safe, okay, that's great. Hey, it's been about 30 minutes and since you got there and text me that you were there and you were safe. Are you still safe? Are you still there? Are you still talking to them? Let me do this. Let me just get Life360 so I can just watch everywhere that you go on my phone. And I'm going to know everything that you do and every move that you make. And then I'm going to know all about you because then we're going to be safe. You remember the days? I mean, like, I know I'm not the oldest man in the world, but I was a kid on a bicycle. And I told my mom, I'm going to ride my bike. She said, wear a helmet. And I was gone. That was it. That was it. I usually didn't wear the helmet. That was not a great thing. But, you know, that was our whole conversation. When are you coming back? Uh, I'll be back uh, around lunchtime, like four in the afternoon. I get home. What are, what are we doing? Uh, we were way down by so-and-so's house. We rode through the woods, and I got a little lost. But we're back. It's good. All's good. We take for granted how easy it is to communicate now. Let somebody try and leave without their cell phone. I'm telling you, especially somebody my age or younger, like you start to twitch. You know, it's like I got, I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't communicate with people. How do I check my social status? We take for granted that God is easier to access than a text message. He's easier to access, and so we don't. We take for granted the things that become routine in our lives. And when we get in a routine and a habit of seeking out God, knowing that He's there, all of a sudden it becomes very unimportant. Because we know we could anytime. Let us draw near. Don't let us forget to draw near. Secondly, verse 23, let us draw near. Secondly, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who is promised is faithful. Not only can we draw near to God who is faithful, we can hold fast to the confession of faith because it is true. God has made a promise and He is faithful to deliver on that promise. He said that He is coming back. That's a promise. He's made 600 plus promises that were all fulfilled in Jesus that took hundreds and thousands of years to fulfill. But there's never a single promise recorded in Scripture that God has not delivered upon. And so when he says he's coming back, you can take it to the bank. He is coming back. Hold fast to that confession. Hold fast to that hope. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Jesus is coming back. Man, there's this song that I, I don't know how long it's been out, but it is the exact song I needed to hear. I heard about the Buffalo shooting, then I heard about the Uvalde shooting, and then I heard about this shooting and that shooting. I heard about all the transgender stuff going on over here, and I heard about all these things. going. The world just feels like it is unraveling around me, and for whatever reason, this song that we've heard on the radio, the Lord inspired my three-year-old daughter while I was giving her a bath to start singing it. And the chorus says, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, so keep your head up. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. No, don't you give up. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. You can see why my daughter picked up on it so easily, right? It's very repetitive, but I need that repetition. This world is horrible. It's our fault that it's horrible. It's our sin. But there is hope that we can hold fast that Jesus is actually coming back. He will return. And we can have hope. We can draw near to Him in the meantime and hold fast to the truth that that promise will be fulfilled. Jesus is coming back. So let us draw near to the Lord. Let us hold fast 
to His promise. And while we do those things, the way that it helps us to maintain those two things in the forefront of our mind and at the superior priority of our hearts is what the third one is. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. My papa did not have many uh, impressive sayings. He was the same papa that um, cheated on my grandmother and ran off and started a whole new family, so we didn't have a whole lot to do with him. But he did leave a few choice phrases and sayings behind. And he said, Nathan, you could use the restroom in the bathroom in a toilet your whole life, but the one time that you take a dump in the street, nobody will ever let you forget about it. Very memorable thing. I was only about seven years old when I heard that. Still remember it to this day. And he said, Nathan, let me tell you something else. I don't know why all of his phrases and sayings had to do with defecating, but they did. He said, Nathan, the more that you stir crap, the more that it stinks. And I don't know about you. I've found that to be true in my life. If you ever walk up on an almost dried cow patty and you stir it up, it stirs the smell right back up. That's a negative connotation of stirring one another up. But that's what this verse is talking about, to not allow us to become stale and stagnant, but to stir up one another so that we are always active for Christ, so that we are always drawing near to Him, that we are stirring one another up to draw near to the Lord, that we are stirring one another up to hold fast to the confession of faith. That we are stirring one another up. That we are provoking one another. Have you ever had somebody describe something like a book or a movie and tell you, let me tell you, this is very thought-provoking. And you think, what do they mean by that? What, what, what Thought-provoking? What, how are you describing that movie as thought-provoking? Well, it provokes our thoughts. We are to provoke one another. Oftentimes I provoke my children to anger. It's a scriptural thing I should not do. So, we are to provoke one another, not negatively. Not to make each other stink, but to stir one another up to good works. To encourage one another. To build one another up. Part of how we stir one another up, part of how we stir up good works among each other is to not neglect meeting together. As has become the habit of some. If you think people not meeting church is a new thing, here's your proof that it's a 2,000 year old problem. At least. If it weren't an issue, why would he be saying not only don't neglect to meet together, but he says, as is the habit of some. So even when the book of Hebrews is written, there is already a habit among some believers not to meet together. So if you think that COVID is the reason that some people are not willing to come to church, no, that's not true. That was already there before COVID. COVID exacerbated it. COVID made it worse. COVID made it so easy in people's minds to take for granted that church will be here. That even if I'm not present, I can just watch online. Listen, if you're tuning in, I'm just looking right here at you cameras. If you're tuning in online, God bless you. I don't know how you found us. I'm glad that you're here. But if this is your substitute for gathering with a group of believers in person, it is a failure as a substitute. It will not work. It is designed to be a supplement in case of emergency. My kid got sick and I can't be there in person, so I'll watch. Or I really appreciate what this pastor says and how the Lord speaks through him. So during the week, I'm going to listen to this other pastor. But coming to this place is not about me. It's not about a preacher. 
If you're a visitor here, you could poll all the membership, and I guarantee you almost none of them are here for me. If they are, they're sorely confused and mistaken. You come here for each other. You could find better preaching at any of the other churches in our county. You could find different kinds of singing in all the different kinds of churches in our county. That's not why we meet together. We meet together because meeting, not meeting together, is bad for our spiritual health. The problem is it's not immediate. The problem is that when we don't go to church, we don't recognize how bad it is for us immediately. It's not like missing a couple meals. When you miss a couple meals, you know. If I skip breakfast, by the time I get to lunch, I know. Especially by the time I get to dinner. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm probably angry. I'm short-tempered. Everybody around me knows that I'm hungry. Everybody around me can see the problem. It doesn't happen that quickly when you miss gathering together. It can be subtle. It can be so subtle that you think your life is fine. We don't have to go to church that often. We don't have to gather together that often. It doesn't really affect us one way or the other. It does. I promise you, it does. And telling yourself that it doesn't is lying to yourself so that you don't feel guilty. We gather together because it's good for us spiritually. It is good for us as a church to gather together. Because I need Laquita here just as much as Laquita needs me here. And I could go across the room to everybody that's here. We need local churches. If we're going to draw near, if we're going to hold fast, if we're going to consider how to stir one another up and provoke one another to good works, we have to gather together in person. There will be diseases, there will be pestilence, there will be plagues, there will be trials, there will be struggles. But Jesus is coming back and I need you to remind me of that just as much as you need me to remind you of that. We need to gather together for our own spiritual health and the spiritual health of those around us. And I've heard people say, I don't need church. I'm spiritually strong enough and mature enough. I don't need church. Have you ever considered that even if that were true, maybe everybody else in that church needs you? We played on that softball team. I was clearly the worst player on the team. That's not a big deal. It's not that they needed me. It's that I needed them. It wasn't just that I was holding them back a little bit. It's because they put me on that team. I played better than I ever would have if they'd have put me on another team. You know, like a team that lost three games in a row by ten points each and then didn't make it any further in the tournament. I mean, that I don't know if that happened to Bethany Team 1, but if I were on Bethany Team 1, they'd have lost by 20 points each because I'd have pulled them down even further. You who say you are spiritually strong and stout and That you don't need church. Let me tell you something, even if that were true. Let's play pretend and a hypothetical and say that's true. The church needs you. You finished the race on your own. You didn't finish the race. You ever seen one of those relays? Where everybody on the team's got to cross the line? And you got that one person that takes off away from everybody else and they finish and they go back and they look. Ha ha, we won! No, you had to get everybody across the line. And because you left your team, now you came in last. When you don't come to church because you think you don't need church, that's who you are. When I don't come to church because I don't think I need church, that's who I am. I mean it when I say the church needs you. And you need the church. We are the church. 
let us not neglect to meet together in person often that we might consider how we can help each other do more good in this world. How we can inspire one another, provoke one another, stir up one another to good works. How we can encourage one another to draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. How we can encourage one another to hold fast. Because as hellacious as this world has become, Jesus is coming back. And we should leave church every Sunday encouraged by our brothers and sisters and go, there's hope. There's hope. This world's going to hell in a handbasket, but I went to church this Sunday and I'm here to tell you there is hope because I saw my brothers and sisters and they encouraged me and stirred me up and I am like ready to be shot out of a rocket into this world so that I can be soft and be light because I didn't neglect to meet in person with my people. I needed them and they needed me and it was a good day. Don't let us be those people that are in the habit of not meeting together. Don't let us be those people who don't stir one another up. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how we might stir one another up in love for good works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. I'm convinced we wouldn't love you if you didn't love us first. While we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us. You showed us how to love one another. You showed us what it looks like to stir one another up to good works. Your Holy Spirit stirs in our hearts to provoke us towards good works. Even as the verse this past week in our Vacation Bible School said that you have prepared good works ahead of time for us to walk in them. Lord, help us. Not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but to come together so that as a church we may draw near to you with true hearts, full assurance of our faith that there is one true and living God. We have seen the living God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth who lived a perfect life. We can hold fast to the confession of that faith that you, Lord Jesus, died on a cross in accordance with the Scriptures, and that you were raised from the dead three days later. Help us to hold fast to that confession that you are coming back. May we have hope because of you. Lord, let us please, cause us, please, to meet together, to stir one another up, to provoke one another towards good works in love, we might be a shining light. That we might be the salt that flavors this broken and sinful world. All by Your power. All by Your Spirit. We love You, Lord. We offer this time of response and invitation up to You. Spirit, would You come and move among us that we might respond in obedience, whatever that may look like. To surrender to You for the very first time. To say, I want to join this body of believers. To just kneel where we are and kneel at these steps and pray and confess and draw near. Lord, however you move, may we respond in obedience.
ask this in the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit.